it's like it's like saying you're from Rhode Island. Like nobody fucking gives a shit about Connecticut down here in Tennessee. Okay, Delaware. Okay, big whoop. Welcome. It's football and other F-words. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I'm joined, as always, by Michael Harden and Zach Lines. We're brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. We'd love for you to check us out. We have all kinds of lovely things. We have podcasts. We have articles. We have Michael. We have Zach. I don't write things, so don't look for my articles, but come check us all out, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Um, good morning, gentlemen. We're going to discuss some things today that are rattling around in the brains of Titans fan base on Twitter that just can't seem to get their head around things like Tom Brady. And now that he's going back to the Super Bowl, the Titans are fucking idiots for passing on him. So uh, with that note, how are we doing? Actually, based on poll polling data, I actually have a little bit of faith in this fan base that they actually know what I, I think that they may be a semi-intelligent fan base with a good head on their shoulders. I'm not going full force here and saying that this is one of the smarter fan bases, but I have to say that they're smarter than what I give them credit for. I want an audio clip of that. <laughs> wow. Wow. What, we're going to have to get some uh, some of this polling data. I got, I got, I got it ready. So I'm, I'm, we'll talk about <laughs> when we get to the topic. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm with you. Well, Let's start with that. So Tom Brady, despite it, I, I really didn't think he was going to be able to do this, but apparently he was able to just pick whatever team he wanted to go to in the offseason to decide to go back to the Super Bowl, which is exactly what he's doing with a nice victory over Green Bay. So yeah, Tom Brady's back in the Super Bowl. That ignited a little bit of a shit show on Titans Twitter with a few stragglers out there clamoring around saying that basically making the case that you see. Tom Brady, if we had convinced him to come to Tennessee, this is the spot that Tennessee would be in. Which one of you would like to take a big hot shit all over that first? I would like to start just by saying this. I want to take a hot shit on YouTube. Maybe we shouldn't clip that off, but Whoa. you guys Whoa, both said <laughs> you guys both said this would not happen and that Tom Brady would not make it back and blah 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 and uh, the the Buccaneers would not be this great team that would make it to the Super Bowl. And I told you there is a very good chance that he would make it. Now I didn't go full force and say that he would because I was on a couple of other teams, but we have to say that he did a lot better than you two thought however this defense is domination i it's been a while since i feel like i've seen a defense as good as the tampa bay buccaneers that just utterly can take over a game and save their quarterback who threw three horrible picks and everybody on the national media that was clamoring that scotty miller touchdown scotty miller was wide open and it wasn't that hard of a pass. I mean, like it was, it was a pass. It's any quarterback can make that pass. I think, I think any quarterback, but maybe Mitch Trubisky and Blake Bortles could make that pass. Uh, so let's settle down on uh, when that pass happened. Overreaction Twitter hit. Settle down. And of course, we saw Tom Brady just crumble at the end. And like I said, it's all about the defense. And I have to say. I thought this would be maybe a more controversial poll or closer poll, but I put it out. 
Titans Twitter. Would you rather have the 2020 Titans defense and Tom Brady or the 2020 Tampa Bay defense and Ryan Tannehill? And out of 757 votes, only 60 people voted for the Titans defense and Tom Brady. That's not bad. I mean, that's 8% of the of 757. That's not that's not bad. That's a lot better than what I thought it was going to be. So I have to give Titans Twitter credit. They recognize that if you had to choose, you take the Tampa Bay defense over over Tom Brady. Listen, even if Tom Brady brings Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown with them, that doesn't change the fact that our defense still sucks. And that doesn't change the fact that really I'd still rather have Johnny Smith than Rob Gronkowski. I don't think Rob Gronkowski brings that much to it. Tom Brady does not fit this offense. We, we've said it numerous times on this podcast. The reason why Ryan Tannehill is so successful is because he is an athletic quarterback. He can make plays with his legs and this or that. And that there is a lot of that in this offense. And we've said it time and time again. This isn't it's, it's very nuanced. Football is a lot more nuanced than saying, oh, plug this player in over, play, plug this quarterback in your team, and you're going to get the same result he has on another team. That's not how it works. Defenders, you could probably do that with a little bit more. You could probably plug Aaron Donald on any team, and he's going to be a force to reckon with. You can't plug Tom Brady on just any team and then expect them to go to the Super Bowl. I said it in the offseason when, when Bruce Arians – came out and said that this was a possibility and blah, blah, blah. That's where he was going to go. It's the best fit. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Cameron Bray, OJ Howard, Ronald Jones. And then that defense was the best fit for him. And then you have a great offensive genius and Bruce Arians. And you have Todd Bowles on the other side. And then on top of that, they ended up getting Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, I mean, they just added, 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 added. Because they knew that this was the year. If they were going to win the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, this was they were going to have to go all in. And it worked. And, of course, it worked. Because that's it just fit. You just can't take Tom Brady and put him over in the Titans and say, well, this is why I wanted Tom Brady all along. Especially after you said that you were all in on Ryan Tannehill. Like, choose a lane Either you're a Titans fan or you're a Tom Brady fan. You can't be both. So, I mean, I guess like, yeah, I mean, you, you basically made the point. It's it's Brady's great. Um, obviously, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't think anyone's disputing right. that. Um, at 43 years old, he's playing much better than I thought he would. I think you also have to say that the Bucks, as a full team, if you just remove the quarterback position – the Bucks as a full team are better than the Titans right now 100%. from a roster standpoint. They have a better offensive line than the Titans do. I mean, if you look at the Bucks offensive line, I think they had a couple all pros on there. Tristan Wirfs was one of the best rookies in the in the entire NFL this year. Um, they also have, you know, I love AJ Brown, but Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have been doing AJ Brown stuff for longer than AJ Brown has been doing AJ Brown stuff. So I, I think they've got, they've got two receivers better than the Titans best receiver right now. Um, and then you've got the defense, the defense that by the way, I know everyone, you know, we're all going to go back and fit the narrative to fit Tom Brady's hero arc, right? That, Oh, well, Tom Brady came to this Tampa Bay team and strapped him on his back and carried him to a Super Bowl. The Bucks defense forced 
four turnovers against the Saints. Tom Brady, if you look at what what he really did against the Saints last week, there's no chance he is playing in the championship, in the NFC championship game, much less a Super Bowl, if it's not for his defense forcing four turnovers. I mean, that was that was a close game, and, and the only way they got back in that game was when they started turning over Breeze, it seemed like, every drive. So, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate Tom Brady. It's amazing what he's done, but I don't think this narrative that he strapped a, a Tampa Bay team to his back and carried them to the Super Bowl is quite fair to the rest of that Tampa Bay roster. I think what you're seeing is, yes, the gap between Tom Brady and Jameis Winston is massive, but nobody would have doubted that coming into the season. You know, hey, you come in here and you don't turn the ball over 30, 40 times, whatever Jameis did last year. Yeah, you, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape with the roster. I mean – James Winston threw 30 picks, 30 picks last season, and the Bucks went seven and nine. That's how good this roster was when, when you walked into it. So I don't know. I appreciate Brady for what he did, but spare me all the nonsense about, well, he would have carried this Titans team to a, a Super Bowl too. Hey, that's that's bullshit. There's that would not have happened. Well, and spare me this bullshit. And I and I'll I'll I, this is the only thing I'm gonna say for, for right now. Um Tom Brady even recognized that it's more about his team than him because in the post-game presser with all the celebration stuff, he says, why don't you get to some of the other guys and interview them? Because he was like, it's not a, I, I felt like he knew it's not about me. It's about these other guys. He threw three horrific picks in that game. I mean, if the Packers come back and win that game, how quickly does the narrative flip to, wow, Tom Brady choked in the biggest spot uh, you know, and, and a Matt LaFleur uh, bad call might have been the only thing between uh, the Packers and actually doing that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the narrative thing with Brady has gotten out of control, which, I mean, again, not disputing he's great, not disputing he's the greatest of all time, all that. But th- this narrative is going to be out of control for the next two weeks. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers threw six interceptions this season. Three of them were against Tampa. Two of them in the earlier game, one of them in the in the championship. So the defense, it's Tampa's defense, and you're exactly right, Mike. If Green Bay comes back and wins this game, the narrative is definitely flipped on. Brady threw three horrendous picks and is he washed and is this the last gasp and that whole thing, right? The uh, one of the reasons why Green Bay was unable to muster a comeback is because Matt LaFleur decided to go with a very squishy baby shit soft call of kicking a field goal instead of actually trying to win eight yard line, two minutes remaining, you trail 31 23 and LaFleur decides to kick. Is this a worse call than Vrabel's? punterific disaster that he had against the Ravens it's not to me I I have a hard time I I think it is when you look at where I think I think it is but I don't think it is by a whole lot I'll let Mike go first I think both are bad calls to be clear I, I think they're both soft weak poor decisions and I wish NFL coaches would look around the playoffs and see how many times soft, weak, non-aggressive fourth down decisions have cost teams potentially their entire season um, 
in the playoffs and learn from that. I, I hope, you know, Mike Brable specifically is, is watching and learning from that. But um, when it, the difference for me is it was fourth and eight or fourth and goal from the eight yard line for LaFleur. Um, you know, a little over two minutes left down by eight, you know, obviously you needed a touchdown either way. And, you know, you might as well score one while you're at the eight yard line. And I think that's the, the strength of that argument, the argument against it. And I think it is somewhat valid is okay. Even if we score, we still have to get the two point conversion just to tie and now we're putting the ball back in Brady's hands with two minutes to go kick a field goal and win if we kick a field goal maybe they keep their foot off the gas a little bit we get the ball back uh and then we have a chance to go win the game rather than just hoping to force overtime so I think that might have been a little bit of the calculus there for the floor um that being said I do think it was the wrong call but we were a very questionable pass interference call away from the Packers getting the ball back and having a chance to go win the game with almost two minutes left. So I think there, that, that decision is somewhat defensible. The variable decision to me is still completely indefensible because it was fourth and two and teams convert fourth and two at like a 70% rate. Um, And you're yes, there's more time left on the clock. So you're going to get the ball back, but we've been over this time and time again, like, why do you, why do you not trust this offense and Derrick Henry? And why do you trust that defense that had killed you all year? Like that, that was completely indefensible to me. I, I don't, I still don't understand. It still makes me mad just to think about it to this day. So I think, and if you look at edge sports, you know, they do the game winning chance, you know, based on decisions and stuff like that. Vrabel's was like four times worse than LaFleur's, according to Edge Sports. Vrabel cost the Titans 13.7% game-winning chance. LaFleur only cost him about 3%. So, you know, I, I think they're both the wrong calls, but Vrabel's to me is still clearly worse. I don't think it's clearly worse just because, I mean, if anything, they're probably, for me, more than this, more the same. Just because you go for it, you have Aaron Rodgers. It's like what you said, you have Derrick Henry, but on the flip side, you have Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And I know this is a really good defense, but they were the number one red zone offense. And Aaron Rodgers is known to make plays just happen. And they were in sort of a rhythm. And to me, if you don't make it, at least they have worse field position. So to me, I feel like that's the way to go was to risk having the field position. I think Matt LaFleur had a horrible game. He kept, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, all from top to bottom because he kept calling these long developing plays down the field. And the pass rush was just getting to Aaron Rodgers. I, I just think the offensive game plan, while I haven't, I'm not a big LaFleur fan. And I think a lot of LaFleur's success is because he has uh, a, a, a one of the best quarterbacks of all time, physically gifted quarterbacks of all time. Um, Aaron Rodgers cover up a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of growing pains in his first year as head coach. I know he won a lot of games, but again, you should be able to win a lot of games with this Green Bay Packers team. And I also think Mike Pettin needs to go if they really want to get over the hump because – 
of the defensive play call. But I mean, uh, why are you calling man coverage yeah. on that final play of the first half was inexcusable. And right. frankly, LaFleur, if he heard that over the headset, should have been like, no, fuck, no, get out of this. No, no, yeah. no, no. Time out. I don't care what happens. Like, get out of it. That's yeah. that's ridiculous. Why are you why are you in man, single high man at that on what they had the ball like midfield? Yeah. Um, it's just an absurd decision. But Mike or uh, Matt LaFleur, it's just to me, when you're calling long developing plays when the pass rush is just beating your backup tackles and, and stuff, it like, come on, man, you got to do something to help get your offense in a rhythm and calling these long developing plays was not it. And I, I, that's to me, I think it's more probably the whole game problem as well, compounding that field goal. But to me, you got to go for the touchdown. I mean, Either way, you got to go for it. Whether it's Mike Vrabel or Lafleur's, you got to go for it. To me, they're they're a little they're slightly different because of field location and time, but I think they're both equally as bad and atrocious. I wouldn't say one more than the other. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd rather you know Derrick Henry run it for two yards or three yards or whatever. But I understand it because um, I understand that to me it's just both. Just both are bad. And I like Mike's comparison. I mean, gut reaction, uh, LaFleur's call looks worse because of A, recency bias, and B, national stage, right? I mean, who was not watching that game versus, you know, the wild card round against the Ravens seems like an eon ago. Uh, yeah, if you look at it based on stats, Vrabel's call was worse. But but Zach's exactly right. Lafleur just—he he certainly had a bad game. That's just—that's that's a tough, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow to sit there and think that you would rather trust your defense against Brady to force a three and out than have Aaron Rodgers get like what, a, what was like nine yards or something. So, I, I, you know, it's it's recency bias that's why it was weighing on me at the time that it was a worse call but yeah it's probably about even well and then isn't it weird that they both had the same excuse well i trust my defense well like isn't that weird if you trust your defense so much don't you trust them with work with tampa bay having worse field position to get the stop and get the ball back and possibly have better field position than what than kicking it off and taking the points like it's the same for both of them like if you trust your defense to do one thing, then do, then just trust them that if you don't make the conversion that they'll get it, they'll get the stop on the next go around. Yeah, and you're exactly right, Zach. Of you would think that coaches would go back and, or maybe Mike said this. You you would think that coaches would go back and say and then watch these bad decisions on fourth down, these bad decisions throughout games and have something written on a piece of paper that an assistant hands them on the sidelines whenever they're going to make a fourth down call that says, dumbass, you watched film about this. Don't say that it feels right at the time. This is not right. You know, go, <laughs> go for it. You've got Aaron Rodgers. Um, how do you, what do you think of Aaron Rodgers comments after the game about kind of alluding to, he doesn't know where he's going to, you know, they've got some off season decisions to make personnel, basically himself included. And, that he disagreed with the call or I, I forgot how he phrased it. Something about, uh, it was not my call. I think is what 
Rogers said. Yeah. Does Rogers have a point to be pissed off, or is he just being a is he being a big ass baby? I think he has a point. Yeah, he's um I, I I think one of the interesting comments he made was people were asking him about uh why he didn't run for it on that third down when he clearly did have a running lane and and maybe would have even scored a touchdown right there. Um and he said that I thought we were gonna have four downs. Um and so that that I think is a poor job of communicating by LaFleur. You know, your quarterback needs to know whether, you know, if you're gonna go for it on fourth down or if that's in the um in your decision tree you need to let your quarterback know before the third down snap okay we're going for it if you know as long as you don't take a sack or as long as you know we're at situation x y or z your quarterback needs to understand what your plan is so that you're not so that he's able to make the right decisions in real time right i think that's an important piece of information when you're trying to figure out what what you want to do with the ball in that situation so um, that's another mark against LaFleur there, but yeah, as far as Rogers comments goes, I think, I think he's a little bit of a drama queen about some of this stuff. Um, I think in the emotion after a tough loss, he probably was, you know, a little bit salty maybe in, in going back to, uh, the, Oh, you drafted Jordan Love, and you know, I mean, that's that's the kind of specter that's hanging over this whole thing with the Packers. Is I mean, you drafted Love in the first round. You don't draft a quarterback in the first round to sit him on the bench for four years. I know the Packers did that with Rodgers, but it's a different league now um, than it was but, then. But is it's, it for their situation? Is. I mean, I think it is in the fact that the biggest asset that you can have is a quarterback that's playing at an above average level at a, on a rookie contract. Right. I mean, and having love sitting there behind Rogers for four years only to have to pay love crazy money uh, as soon as he starts to become the starter, I think it's just, it's kind of weird asset management. I don't, I don't know. I mean, if they don't think love is ready, then I think it becomes an easy choice for the Packers, but I guess Rogers saying that at least lends some credence to the idea that, Hey, maybe the idea all along was to let love sit for a year. And, and, you know, I mean, he watched Alex Smith go through this exact thing with uh, Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, he's drafted, he sits for a year and you have some success, but then the season ends and it's, it's the young guy's job. And I mean, obviously Rogers is on a completely different plane from Alex Smith, but those guys came in together. I'm sure he sees him as a little bit of a contemporary um, and you know, it, there's, there's certainly precedent for this kind of thing happening. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be something interesting to watch. I can't imagine Rogers goes anywhere though. Realistically. I mean, I, I think he's back with the Packers and the starter and love is just waiting um, for, you know, his time, but I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a non-zero chance that they could look to trade him or do something different. I I think he's with Green Bay. I, I don't think they're in a, a particular rush. I just think that, you know, sometimes you like the like Aaron Rodgers, when he got drafted, you just have to take what you got. And really, I mean, when you look at Aaron Rodgers' contract, may, I think he's on it for next year because his potential out is 2022. That's when his contract becomes considerably less. If Unless you're going to, you know, be – and you could trade them. I mean, there's, I'm sure there are teams that are going to trade them, but are there teams that are going to take 
Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, who's cheaper. You got Matt Stafford there. This is not really the time to probably trade Aaron Rodgers. And even if you were to possibly trade him, you're still going to have a dead cap of 31.5 if you trade him before 6-1. And if you trade him with the post-6-1 designation, it's, you know, 14. And then you carry a dead cap into 2022. So, yeah, you can save some cap, but you're going to be carrying some dead cap all the way through. And to me, it's... I think he's just going to stay. I, I think you keep him at least one more year instead of trying to get rid of him this year. And I think what you have to do, if you're the Green Bay Packers, you keep Aaron Rodgers, you fire Mike Pettin, uh, and get Aaron Rodgers or even Jordan Love in the future, a some offensive weapons, and you should easily be able to get, run this back and beat whoever you face in the NFC uh, Championship next year. They need weapons. Their biggest decision is what they're going to do with Aaron Jones, which I think Aaron Jones is going to go and walk. I think he's gone. I think so, too. All right. So Lebowski had a work emergency, so he had to step out for a second. So it's back to me and Mike. Mike, I want to get back to a little bit of the Tom Brady thing. And because there was one thing we haven't talked about was the general consensus of the pro Brady thing uh, movement on Sunday was that Tom Brady would he would have beat the Ravens? How confident are you that that is true? Because there's two things to this. First off, I feel that if Tom Brady was our quarterback the whole regular season, I don't think we end up 11 and five, and I don't think we end up AFC South champions. So that we may not even face the Baltimore Ravens, but let's say we did end up facing the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think Tom Brady would have made a lick of difference because Derrick Henry couldn't get going. And all they did was send pressure up the middle, which we know that Derrick Hen- or that uh, Tom Brady, that's his kryptonite. So I maybe the score is a little bit different, but I don't think that the the end result is different. Yeah, I don't think it would have looked a lot different. Obviously, it would have been um, probably the the offense in general i think would have had to look a lot different um you know you probably don't have as effective um a season from henry i think you probably have more a little bit more of the quick passing game that that brady loves and and works well in i, I think the titans offense still probably would have been pretty good but i don't i mean frankly the titans offense in the regular season was better than the Bucks offense in the regular season, despite the Bucks having probably better skill talent around Brady uh, the whole way. So I, I tend to agree with you that if you stick Brady on this Titans team, they might not even have made the playoffs, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, but I mean, they just barely made the playoffs as is. And, you know, they had an offense that was performing at an extremely high level, um, I don't know. I, I, it sounds crazy to say, but I don't know that they would have made the playoffs because um, the defense wouldn't have gotten any better. It, you know, we can't just give Brady credit for fixing the Bucks defense too, right? I mean, it's, it is. Because it was good he, last he year. Plays his, uh, right, yeah. And so it's, um, it's not like the defense would have gotten any better. They still would have been a huge problem. And the Titans offense did about all they could to overcome that defense uh, during this year. I, I can't, I don't know. I, I kind of want to go back and look and see what the best record 
teams have finished with with a 29th or worse defense by DVOA. I might I might have to go back and uh, do some research. Oh, I'm sure we we that, are the best. Has to be. The Titans probably are number one in that. So I, I don't think um, you know you. I think there's a good argument that you wouldn't have been in the playoffs. But even if you say they were, and everything plays out the same in the regular season, I don't know that he makes a difference. I mean, you're still you're still not able to get the run game going. You're still, you know, relying on the drop back passing game. And, and I don't think they had the offensive line to do that. Um, it, you know, especially once they had Questenberry in there when they had, uh, you know, a bunch of banged up guys from Dennis Kelly uh, to Roger Saffold to Ben Jones were all kind of dealing with issues as the season wore on. And I think that started to show up. I just don't think they, I don't think it made a difference. I think we could have lost the Bears game. I mean, there's a lot of games that we won that I feel like we could have lost based on the defense across the field that could that could probably match up well with uh, Tom Brady behind center. Let's let's move on. Let's go back to the Mike and Matt discussion. Mike Vrabel, Matt Lafleur. Who do you think is the better head coach? It's a good question. Um, I think obviously LaFleur stepped into a better situation with having Rodgers to inherit. Um, and, you know, as good as Tannehill has been, he's not the talent that Rodgers is. So, and obviously Vrabel was playing with Mariota, banged up Mariota for most of his first, you know, for half of his time here at this point. So, um I I guess I would lean I guess I would lean Vrabel just slightly but it's probably I mean it's really close I think they're two of the better head coaching hires of the last like three cycles now um and, you know just based on results and based on kind of development of the team underneath them um you know the Packers have done some really good things outside of just inheriting Aaron Rodgers they've you know LaFleur is unlocked Aaron Jones, um, which, you know, is kind of funny considering what he did with Henry here. Um, but he unlocked Aaron Jones, the defense has gotten better. Um, not quite dominant, but it's gotten better under him. And some of that is personnel too. They went and got him, you know, the Smith brothers and all that. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I would lean Brable, but it's very, very close. Yeah. I would lean Vrabel. I think that he's done either more or the same with less talent. So I guess if you're doing something with less talent all across the board, you're probably doing more than what the other guy is. And I think that, you know, I, I just feel more confident that Vrabel's going to be here for a longer time. I feel like maybe when Jordan Love steps in behind center, we could totally see LeFleur crumble. That would be and, very interesting to see. Yeah, that will be the the true test of Lafleur, and if he's a good, if he's as good a head coach as everybody thinks he is, is when he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers behind there. So to me, Aaron Rodgers plays a big deal, and it's hard to grade out really how good is Lafleur if he doesn't have Rodgers. So we've seen Lafleur call plays and have offenses with a less quarterback in. And Mariota. So to me, 
it'll be interesting to see. That's I'm holding reserve judgment. I would say I would lean with you, lean Mike Vrabel just a little, but that could change over the next few years when uh, Aaron Rodgers is potentially out of Green Bay. Um, let's move on to Pep Hamilton. Uh, we had had some news over the weekend that the Titans were bringing in Pep Hamilton. Is the Steelers and Titans were interviewing him. The Steelers on Monday they promoted quarterback coach Matt Canada. So Steelers Nation is very mad and terrified that they're going to get more of the same offense that they saw last year. Um, on top of that, Pep Hamilton was currently employed by the uh, Los Angeles Chargers as their quarterback coach. Since then, he's been taken off the team website, obviously because they hired an, another head coach. And the new head coach has brought in Joe Lombardi uh, over from the New Orleans Saints. So it looks like right now Pep Hamilton um, – has a good chance of landing with us. There was another team yesterday. Um, it just hit me while I was in all that. There was another team yesterday that apparently was also in on Pep Hamilton. Do you recall who that was? I don't. Um, I know he's been connected to several places, but um, but yeah, I think the list is starting to narrow a little bit as, as teams start to fill these spots. But um I do want to just mention that I think Pep Hamilton is a good option. Um, I'm higher on him than uh, a lot of the other candidates out there. Um, I think if you look at go back to his Colts tenure um, where he came into the league, obviously with Andrew Luck uh, after being Andrew with Andrew Luck at Stanford um, under Jim Harbaugh, that's kind of how he got his start as a quarterback guru, um, so to speak. And then, you know, obviously he did a great job of luck at Stanford. And then when he got to the league, those Colts offenses, his first couple years uh, in Indy were really good. Um, you know, obviously dealing with a, a rookie quarterback and, and kind of growing him, uh, you know, that first season, I think they jumped from 18th in, in scoring to 14th. And then the next year they jumped to sixth. So they, they were making some clear progress. And then obviously 2015 happens and, and it kind of slows. Like they dropped all the way down to 24th in scoring and he had been, he was fired halfway through that year, but um, they had Andrew Luck was dealing with injuries. Um, they had a terrible offensive line that was also dealing with injuries. They had, um, you know, really not a whole lot on the outside besides T.Y. Hilton to, to work with uh, offensively. And when Pep got fired and they promoted Rob Chudzinski, uh, they actually dropped in scoring by over five points per game. Um, so it's not like firing. It's not like it's clear that Pep was not the issue. It was all the other stuff around um, that offense that year. So I think he kind of got scapegoated there. And then obviously – he's bounced around a little bit was in the XFL as a head coach and then ended up with a quarterback quarterback coach for the chargers where obviously Justin Herbert was tremendous this year. Um, and Herbert has spoken extremely highly of pep and the work that he did and credits him a lot for, for what he was able to do this year. So I think um, obviously the Titans don't have like a young quarterback like luck or Herbert to develop right now. Um, but I think, you know, he'd be good for a veteran too. I mean, usually if you're good at grooming a young quarterback, you would probably do even more for a veteran because you don't have to go through like the hand holding 
phases of of doing that you can step right in with a guy that knows what he's doing this would be the first chance that he'd gotten to do that at the nfl level uh in his coaching career so i, I think it's going to be very interesting to see if he does end up here how all that works out but you know he's he's a heavy personnel wants to be balanced um offensively kind of guy they did throw it a lot more than they ran it uh when he was in indy uh but part of that was having andrew luck and, and trent richardson you know like who would you trust with the ball in their hands more often than not so i think that kind of maybe speaks to rational coaching uh if you want to look at it from a positive standpoint for him yeah i i think I, what I like most about Pep is that he maxim, he tries his best to maximize the talent that he's given, right? And to put him in the best things to succeed. Like our offense here at Tennessee that we see week after week, the Tennessee Titans offense runs through Derrick Henry, right? We all know that that's where they want to get going. Well, in Indy, the offense runs through Andrew Luck, right? So when he had a healthy Andrew Luck, like you said, they were the first in yards and first in points in, in passing. So, and then you, like you said, 2015, Andrew Luck was battling through injuries. First off, they've had a horrible offensive line all three years that Pep Hamilton was the uh, offensive coordinator, just piss poor bad. But on top of that, that 2015 year, not only was Andrew Luck battling through injuries, but as a, they had to rely on a 40-year-old Matt Hasselbeck for eight games and Josh Freeman for one game, which I feel like that Josh Freeman game was the one that he... Uh, that I think that they beat the Titans that game with Josh Freeman as quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall correctly. Then on top of that, he's never really had a really great rushing offense, but his running backs were Trent Richardson, Ahmad Bradshaw, Donald Brown, Frank Gore, Vic Ballard. Not a whole lot there to work with, you know, depending on the year. And then, like you said, the work that he's done with Justin Herbert, he has been given been getting the credit all across the board these last few days for Justin Herbert's development from various people that are covering the Chargers, national guys, other coaches. And just so we could say this, Justin Herbert in 15 games, 4,336 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That puts them and the Chargers as a whole were six in passing yards and 10th in scoring. Uh, passing touchdowns I mean that's huge and you're talking about a guy who will probably uh, make this a little bit of a more diverse um, offense who and stuff because he does come from the Harbaugh the Greg Roman where they're both people and and of course Anthony Lynn who's a good offensive mind despite maybe his head coach stuff but they come from all people that seem to take what they're given, whether it's like Tyrod Taylor over in Buffalo with Anthony Lynn or, um, uh, you know, we see what Greg Roman has done with Colin Kaepernick and Lamar Jackson and these, and these other uh, quarterbacks. They all seem to maximize the talent that they're given and make an offense around the talent that they're given. And I think that Pep Hamilton will will be able to do that here now he is a west coast offense guy which is good in, in most people's opinions now the the big concern is the blocking scheme mike um you know power gap versus transitioning from the zone that we typically have now to a power gap i know that 
it's almost like three four four three, where you we do run plays, even though we're a zone team, we do run plays with power gap. How do you feel about that? What do you feel could be the outlook for this team and blocking philosophy if Pep Hamilton's OC? I think it's um I think you're going to want to stick largely with the zone blocking team. That's the, the offensive line that they've developed is built to zone block um, primarily, at least. I mean, they, they did run a lot of duo this year, which was kind of a new wrinkle that they added. Um, and that's, that's kind of a power gap play. Um, so they, they've definitely mixed in more of that in recent seasons, but I, I don't know that, I mean, the Chargers did a lot in zone uh, this year as well. They kind of transitioned their offense to really almost look a lot more like the Titans uh, offense this season. So, I, you know, obviously Pep was a quarterback's coach. He wasn't like building that offense. He wasn't probably working that much with the run block scheme. Um, but I don't think if he comes in here, it, he's necessarily going to say, all right, we're getting totally out of zone and going to – you know, this scheme that I'm more comfortable with. I, I would hope at least that he would come in and sit down with Keith Carter and, and say, look, here's, here's what we need to do. You know, tell me, tell me what works for you guys, what you guys have done well, and how can I incorporate that into an offense that we can put together? So I, I think really whatever, you know, an outside coordinator hire would do, I would hope the first thing they would do would be come in learn the offense that's already here, that's already working at a really high level and then figure out what they can bring to that rather than, all right, here's the new offense. Everybody learn this. Like, cause teaching a new offense to all of the position coaches on offense, all of the players, it seems ridiculous when you could have one guy come in and learn the offense uh, and then kind of add wrinkles to it. So I think it, it'll be interesting to see if they do hire someone from the outside, how much, carryover there is i think there's going to be quite a lot though um regardless of who the the coordinator ends up being yeah i i think that pep hamilton like i said works with what he's got so maybe the offensive line in indy could weren't athletic enough to run a zone and et cetera, et cetera, wherever he stops i think it's i think it's definitely possible that you know, he comes in and just tries to keep as much as the same as possible and put his wrinkles and spin on it. I want to talk about something though. Uh, the big talk, uh, one of the Twitter talks, and I wish Lebowski was here over the last week has been Vrabel's ego and the ability to hire coordinators and such expound on what people are saying to you and arguing with you about on Vrabel's ego versus hiring a coordinator. Well, the funny thing is um, I get so many people who, you know, come in every time I tweet anything about like potential coaches or potential coordinators or whatever, it, everyone comes in and there's always at least two or three comments that are, well, if they're not from the Patriots or they're not from Ohio state, or if they're not from, um, you know, wherever Vrabel's been before, you know, it's like, or from Houston, um, then we're not going to hire them. You know how many coaches they have from that have Patriots backgrounds on the, on the current staff? Zero. You know how many coaches they have with Ohio state backgrounds on the current staff? I think there's like one assistant or like an offensive quality control assistant. Um, you know how many guys they have from Houston three. So like they've got about a 16 man staff 
13 of those are from places that are not connected to Vrabel in any way whatsoever. So the narrative that he only hires from those three places is completely out of control and ridiculous. Um, But I think the ego thing, I'm not sure. I get, I get why people think Vrabel has an ego in general, because he's a little bit short with the media in press conferences. He tends to, um, get frustrated and, and, you know, occasionally go into his shell and kind of be, uh, you know, a little terse, I guess, uh, you could say, but, um, so I get like why people think he's, he's got like this big ego and everything, but from a coaching hire standpoint, I don't think that's been bearing out to be true. I mean, if you look at his, he's hired three coordinators, right. And in, in his time here, Matt LaFleur, um, Arthur Smith on offense and then Deaton Pease on defense. All three of those hires really, I think, were good hires. Um, a lot of people don't like to give him credit for the LaFleur hire because they say, well, that was a John Robinson suggestion. That's fine. It, it probably was a John Robinson suggestion. They just hired or they just interviewed LaFleur for the head coaching position. Um, and once Rabel went out and didn't connect with Ryan Day, um, you know, Robinson maybe suggested LaFleur to him. That doesn't mean he has to hire him, right? He still has to talk to him, make the decision to hire him. I don't, I don't get the uh, picking and choosing which guys you credit a coach for hiring based on like whether or not they were suggested by someone else. Suggesting and hiring are two different things. Um, so I don't, I don't really understand that. Then obviously Pease like was talked out of retirement. Um, and then Arthur Smith was promoted and, and people like to say, oh, well, he just promoted him. He, it's not like he went out and found him. Well, he took a chance on a guy who had zero play calling experience uh, and had only been, you know, with one organization basically for the last 10 years. So I think hiring coordinators, you have to, you know, take a look at what's out there and, and make a decision, obviously. So he's made good decisions now not hiring a defensive coordinator. Yeah. That was a terrible decision last year. Obviously that worked out horrifically. Um, and I don't think he'll make that mistake again for that reason. And I think at the very least, we're going to see Shane Bowen given the actual title. Somebody is going to have the title defensive coordinator on the staff this year. I'm a hundred percent sure of it. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do over there, but yeah, I, I don't get the ego thing. Um, just seems strange that we're saying he he's not good at hiring coordinators when he's hired good coordinators for the most part during his time here. I would say he's an average coordinator hire guy. I, I, I would say he's very C plus B minus C kind of guy grades. When you look at it, Arthur Smith, obviously really good. LaFleur and P is very average, maybe even below average, depending on how you view how you view LaFleur's time here. You can't take his Green Bay stuff and, and insert it over here. And I think you can I, to some degree because, no, no. because listen, listen, he he was dealing with a nerve-damaged Mariota the entire year he was here, and he had no Tannehill to turn to, right? So I think... I don't know. Blank Everett's in the Super Bowl this year. Well, true. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, but I think we've seen what the difference Tannehill made when he stepped into the offense. Um, I think 
we have to look back at LaFleur's time here a little bit differently now. Now, there are serious gripes to be made about him using Deion Lewis over Derrick Henry and everything like that. Um, he did eventually get to the Derrick Henry thing late in the season. With Brable's prodding, right? Yes. Yeah, so so I, I think I think there are serious gripes to be had with LaFleur. But if we are – I think if we look back, we've got to consider that Mariota was throwing with – fingers that he couldn't feel for most of that season. Um, and we know now that Mariota just wasn't that good a quarterback here. So um, I think we have to apply that filter to looking at what LaFleur did here. Yeah. But I mean, the play calls, the Dion Lewis, the, the decisions, some weird stuff. It, yeah. it wasn't Mariota. I can give you some, but I mean, I would still rank him as a very average hire. I wouldn't rank it as good hire. In, in the very least, yeah, I'd say maybe average, slightly below average. And, and Dean Pease, we've talked about it last week, but Dean Pease, ha, you know, was good, but he was not some god of defense. But I, I will say that I think that he was a good hire. But the Bowen fiasco balances out the Arthur Smith. So that's why I'm very B minus C plus. I think there's a lot that is on Vrabel's shoulders to rebound. We've seen that Matt Patricia is going to go be Butch Jones back up in New England. And, you know, and so he's not coming here to technically be defensive coordinator. I guess he still could if, you know, because it is, you know, an upgrade from, I guess, defensive assistant or whatever he is, car washer up in um, <laughs> snowplow guy up there. But, I mean, bringing back Bowen – don't you think that is a bad idea? I mean, wouldn't you say that that would still be a D minus coordinator hire? You know, yes. So oh, if he brings back Bowen, it's it's a disappointment. There's yeah, like no bones about that. I mean, I think it if they do that, obviously it's them telling us, hey, we think it's all personnel. Uh, last year, I think there's enough evidence to, to suggest that it was not all personnel. Uh, that caused them to fail last year um it would be very disappointing if they bring back bowen but we'll, we'll see what happens i'm not i'm not saying that's going to happen until i actually see it yeah yeah and you know it's trending that way but i wouldn't even say that terrell austin would make that much of a difference in my eyes on his coordinator hires but that's just you know based on what i've seen from terrell austin and uh, what i know of his defensive ranks and stuff but, you know, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, any any gripes or other complaints about Titans Twitter before we get off? Any any topics you just really needed to let them know and put people on notice that this idea is wrong? Um, I One thing that I've seen lately is, you know, there's a lot of people that are on the, you have to draft an edge rusher at 22 no matter what. Um train and i don't i don't agree with that really i I think it depends on who's there i think you know like best player available is probably the correct strategy because who cares if you draft an edge rusher if you get yeter grossomatos and he gets two and a half sacks next year like i mean oh great good job like there are i think the path to fixing the pass rush immediately is free agency so I think they have to go there first. I do think they should add a pass rusher and maybe they should look at doing one at, at 22, but that's not the only 
position that would be an acceptable choice. I mean, it, you want to get the best player you can um, because yeah, getting, getting a guy that flames out in three years and, but great. You got to play him at edge. I mean, it, you want to get good players first and foremost, obviously, but I, I think too many people are saying every time they see a mock draft with someone that is not an edge rusher, they're saying, this is stupid. The Titans are never going to do that. The Titans very well might. I mean, the, they have shown they don't necessarily go biggest need in the first round. Yeah, I, I would agree. I said, you know, to me, I'm all about the offense. I mean, you know, do the defense in free agency, do the offense in the draft, in, in my opinion. And in that first round, if I'm having to choose, uh, because at 20, um, 22, right this year, 22, um, mm-hmm you're not going to get the chase young, but you could get, you know, someone, you know, that could fall like a, um, I mean, I know he didn't fall this far, but like CD lamb, or you can get you can, with a deep wide receiver class, you can get a top flight wide receiver right there. Uh, Rondell Moore. Um, there's another one that's often Justin down Jefferson there. went, uh, around 22 last year, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can get a, a guy that could probably come in and immediately step into Corey Davis's role or into, if you cut Humphreys and keep Davis, you, he can step into the Humphreys role, like a Kadarius Tony. Um, Kyle Pitts Mm. is someone that may be there at 22. I know that people are really high on Kyle Pitts. He probably won't be there at 22, but you never know. And, you know, to me, making there's there's a lot this offseason is huge right we got two coordinator positions open johnny smith jayon brown both free agents that you know you may want to try to keep Corey davis is a free agent uh what are you gonna do about malcolm butler's contract daquan jones you know what's gonna happen with isaiah wilson when it's all said and done huge offseason and after last offseason's failures to for any of the attempts to fix the pass rush, you know, fell flat on his face. You have to do some stuff. Carl Lawson is a guy that everybody should keep on their radar and set notifications to, because that is someone that apparently according to spotrack.com, their market, the market value for him is like an average of $8 million a year. That's insane to me. Seems crazy low. That that seems crazy low, but if you can get that, or pay 10 to $11 million per year. That's where I'm going. I'm going right there to Carl Lawson over, and you could still draft an edge rusher in two or three and stuff like that. But Carl Lawson's the guy everybody needs to be. He, he needs, he's 25. If I'm not mistaken, he may be turning 26 this year. He's super young. He's very good. He would be a huge asset to this team compared to the duds that we got these last these this last year yeah I, I agree I think and that's the thing I think I know you want your first round pick to be an instant impact guy but like as we found out this year counting on that is not always uh, a wise move um, so I think if you want instant impact I mean because in I've talked about this before like even if the Titans did draft an edge rusher at 29 last year the guys that were available to them did not end up producing at big time rates where, where they did end up. So um, 
I think if you're looking for instant impact and, and looking to make a quick fix on the defense, free agencies that are out to go. And I'm, I'm actually writing about this right now, but um, I think there's a blueprint out there that the Titans should follow to trying to get back to defensive respectability. And I think they can. I, I think you can fix this defense in one offseason if you make the right moves. Right. And if the, the moves, you may even make the right moves, the moves still got to pan out. I mean, when right. the Titans signed Jadavian Clowney, Everybody was for it, except for maybe like two or three people. Everybody was for Jadavian Clowney. Everybody wanted Jadavian Clowney, and it didn't work. It's not that John Robinson isn't trying to fix the pass rush. It's just that the moves that he's made have blown up in his face. Not, I mean, all of it totally out of his control. I mean, you can't control if a player gets injured. You can't control whatever you want to go through with Vic Beasley. I mean, some of this stuff just doesn't pan out and you know you know in the end huge off season can't wait to cover it i'm excited to see what happens are you surprised at all that we're almost into february and no coordinator hires have been done i'm a little surprised um but the titans are always they always kind of move slow um i feel like and they're always very quiet like we rarely get real names connected um and for all we know maybe they were waiting on some of the guys uh that they wanted to talk to that were still playing uh this past weekend i know john butler the bills defensive backs coach was a name that um we've seen connected to Vrabel previously he was with houston with him for a few years before he joined sean mcdermott in buffalo and obviously he's done a great job with the buffalo secondary um he's an interesting DC candidate, I think. Um, so it could be that they were just waiting to talk to some guys that, and they wanted to make sure that they talked to everybody that they had interest in and wanted to do a really thorough, uh, canvassing of, of what was out there. So, um, yeah, I don't think anyone should panic. I mean, it, it, it's not like any of the names that have been hired so far that are off the board are like, Oh God, that was the savior. Uh, that was the guy that was going to fix it all for them. I mean, we'll see who they get um, and kind of react then I think, but for now, I think you just got to be patient and let them play out the process. Yeah. I think Patricia would have been the closest to that guy that you could have said, Oh crap. That's the one that we need really needed, but let's see what, what happens at the end. Let's not panic. And let's just, uh, let's just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride for now. I mean, let's complain when we have the reason to complain solidified. If Bowen is named DC, let's complain then. Let's not worry about the what ifs at this point. That will do it for football and other F words. My name is Zach Lyons. You have been talking to Mike Miracles or listening to Mike Miracles. Mike Herndon at Mike Miracles on Twitter. I'm at F words pod on Twitter. You can go to broadwaysportsmedia.com. Get yourself a subscription. Even though it's the off season, we don't take off. We still put out content. We're working on articles behind the scenes to get them out. There's going to be some good player interviews coming through the pipeline here. Prospects, Titans players, going to be some good stuff. We got articles. We're going to, whoever's hired, you're going to have an article talking about everything you need to know to get you informed about that person. It's going to be awesome. We got Preds coverage. We got soccer coverage from the guys at Speedway Soccer. We don't take off. This is going to be some good stuff that you're going to want to be in on. Draft coverage is going to be awesome. When free agency happens, salary cap articles and this and that, I keep you informed. We're going to make it simple for you to understand and be able to talk about 
contracts and stuff like that. It's going to be great. So head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com, secure your membership today. For Michael Gillum at Mr. Lebowski, for Michael Herndon at Mr. Miracles, or Mike Miracles, <laughs> for Zach Lyons, myself at Efforts Pod. This has been Football and Other Efforts, and you have just been F. Broadway Sports Media Production.